They were too big to fit in a coach seat, and they didn't want to check them. So they flew first class as Mr. Box. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty cool. You could restore it all. Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restored All podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I have with me my construction consultant, Prasanna Maliandi. How's it going, Prasanna? Good, Curtis. Yeah, construction consultant, someone who's consulting and never having done something. Does that, <laughs> is that still considered a consultant? Well, I consult you as yes. I am working on my latest project, which is the 4x8 shed uh, oh, that I'm constructing. Massive in my it is i will say it is if you don't count the fort that i built as a kid then it is the largest thing that i've ever built now when you talk about fort are you thinking like a bed sheet tossed over a couple no 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 i <laughs> built a i built a 20 by 24 growing up but uh wow we'll we'll come back to that so yeah. i'm gonna i'm gonna bring on our 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 guest our guest this week is one of those few people that I get to bring on who's been in IT. I'm going to actually say way longer than me, which is which is impressive. It looks like his first job in IT was actually in 1979 at the Honeywell Commercial Division, and he has had a few jobs since then. One of which we actually worked at the same company. He and I both worked at what became known as Collective Technologies. Speaking of Collective Technologies, I just wanted to have an editor's note here. It's a little somber, but I was literally editing this episode when I got a Facebook message that uh, a good friend from those days gone by, uh, Jim Bogor, has uh, uh, passed on. And uh, Jim will be missed. Uh, He was a fun guy. Fun guy to work with, fun guy to be around, and he had, had a very unique last name at uh, Bagor. Obviously, with a name like that, they, he, that name had been mispronounced uh, on purpose a few times in order to, you know, poke fun at him. And he basically just made light of that and said, you know, he, he had a rule that if you could pronounce his name in a way that he hadn't heard before that you could then call him that <laughs> forever. And I, I was unable to come up with uh, an incorrect pronunciation that he hadn't heard before, but uh, he, he always had that offer there. Um, I, I, it's been a while since I've seen Jim in person, and uh, the last time I remember having a meal with him in his hometown, and uh, just wanted to say that, uh, Jim, you will be missed. I'd like to dedicate this podcast to you. Let's get back to the introduction of my guest. He also worked for Bank of America, a company that I technically worked for because they acquired a company that uh, I worked for, where I actually cut my backup teeth many years ago. And he is now the senior system administrator at Northwestern University. Welcome to the podcast, Daryl Baker. Well, thank you for having me, Curtis. Happy to have you on. Um, I, I always love to, you know, to, to get sort of that folks that have been around perspective, right? Um, by the way, did you mention on the um, in the pre-call that you, you've also sort of dabble, dabble with uh, construction? 
Well, it's uh, I grew up in a household where my dad was a union electrician. Oh. And so anytime he needed stuff done, some trade came in or he got in pointers and he said, okay, you hold this. <laughs> you d- you <laughs> did a lot of you hold this work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a little of, you know, one of my first memories is pulling wire with my dad in the neighbor's edition. So it's like <laughs> I was about three years old. What? It was just keep this from tang- tangling. How do wow. I do that, Dad? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Got an my, early start there. My granddaughter is, uh, she's assisting me at painting the shed. Um, today I'll be, I'll be cutting p- pieces that will tur- that will be built into a, a door. I'm going to cut all the pieces and then we're going to paint them because they're different colors. There's the. There's Are the, you going to put unicorns? No, I'm not going to put unicorns. I think you Just should regular really put painting. unicorns. You think I no should? Rainbows? No rainbows? <laughs> no. Well, yeah, because, well, she's big into rainbows as well, but she loves unicorns. But, uh, yeah, so I'm trying to get trying to get her involved as well. She enjoys working with Papa. Just a quick disclaimer. Persona, myself, and our guest, Daryl, are speaking for ourselves and are not necessarily expressing the opinions of our employer. I often mention that that my first backup job was actually backing up, among other things, AT&T 3B2s, right? So we had uh, an AT&T 3B2s. What's a 3B2? The, 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 they were the first computer specifically made for Unix. They, the, the tape drive that came in them was a Quick 80, which was a, a QIC 80 megabyte drive, which wow. was, they were not, they were not quick. <laughs> but when I mentioned that, what did, what did you say about the 3B2s? Well, I was actually um, hired into the first group of people that were in the AT&T Unix support group. This was just prior to System 5 launching. And also, was uh, I white-gloved the first seven 3B2s that left Indian Hill in uh, Naperville, Illinois. Wow. And went, <laughs> and, and went to... Uh, I think it was Piscataway at that time. It was either it was either uh, Murray Hill or Piscataway where they were doing the Unix development for AT and T. Interesting. That that's pretty cool. I mean, it's funny. I, we had seven three B twos, so I thought maybe <laughs> maybe they were ours, but I guess not. No, no. Once they went into full production, I didn't see them. But these were, um, in fact, they had the three and a half inch tape uh, floppy opening on the left. Yeah. And when they actually made a uh, produce the 3B2100, it was a five and a quarter on the right. And there was a button in the back. And my director, when I was showing him the new thing, said, well, what does this button do? And that happened to be the reboot button. <laughs> and did you, did you push it? Had, he pushed it. Oh, he pushed it. And FSCK was buggy at the time on that machine and that one had to go get and re- go back to the uh laboratory and get re-imaged before we sent it out Ooh, fsck of course would be the file system check that would run after a reboot of a machine yeah this is a, the repair system for, yeah. for the file system and uh, the other interesting thing about the original 3B2s is when they boxed them up for transport, they were too big to fit in a coach seat, and they didn't want to check them. So they flew first class as Mr. Box. Ah, seriously? <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. I so, like that. Yeah. 
as well, Mr. Well, the nice Fox. thing was the guy who the guy who was ever doing the transport with him also flew, flew first class. <laughs> that would be hilarious if the box was traveling first class and the person traveling with them was sitting in the backing coach. Yep. <laughs> wow. They, they, they thought about it. They thought about it. And the flight attendants and stuff, no one gave a second glance or anything? They didn't care? That's kind of crazy. I guess it happens that certain pieces of important cargo get stuck in first class. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah, I've never, I've flown a lot in my years. American Airlines says I've flown over 3 million miles uh, on their platform alone. Uh, I've never seen that. Um, I've seen a lot of things. You know, a lot of people that have, been in and around backup that, you know, they complain about this and they complain about that. And I try to say, listen, as challenging as backup is today, because it still is challenging, it's nowhere near as difficult as it was when I go back. I go back to those 3v2s. And what I remember, again, the only thing I remember about stuff was, you know, file, you know, administration, right? Uh, And the, um, the tape drives that came with those things. And by the way, I don't think I had the three V two 100. I think they were like the, the 300 or something, maybe. Um, I think it was the 400, the 400. You're right. It was, it was about, I don't know, six inches tall. Yeah. Yeah. The the 100 was only about three inches tall. Oh yeah. No, this was, this was bigger than that. And then, but what I remember about those tape drives was that you could not reliably write a tape in system A and take that tape out and put it in system B and reliably read that tape. It, I remember that too. Sometimes well. it would work. Sometimes it would not. Was that a tape drive thing? Or yes, it was, was definitely a-, a tape drive thing. It was the, like the heads were misaligned. Uh, they were not always aligned in the same way. Um, imagine that trying to, you, you had to keep track of what system made what tape because it wouldn't, you couldn't necessarily read it um, in another drive. What happened well, if your system just, died? Just, just think about the the folks who have to produce the distribution so that you can uh, you can go out and rebuild your system from bare metal. That's a, yeah. That's what I was thinking about. Is like yeah. How do those people deal with that? Do they just swap the tape drive from the dead system and put it in? You know, I uh, I just, just don't even remember. You, you send out a te- you send out a technician with four or five drives, mm. and find the one that works. Oh wow! I mean, what it was really I, that bad. I don't bad. remember ever experiencing that. So that's it. so that's interesting. So you said different tape drives. Interesting. It makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it makes it, it makes perfect sense. Um, and yeah, and you you yeah, made cause, it because we were actually we were actually responsible for putting that together the System 5 1.1 distribution, which was System 5 1 with uh, exportable encryption. So what I remember, wait, we got to come back to that. What I yeah, remember I was, uh, was System 5 release 4. I think that was the, that was the first Unix that I remember really spending time with was the, the same, you know, the AT&T System 5. But talk, let's go back to that encryption. I'm actually, what, Talk to us about that it? encryption. What what was that? Well, DES was uh, on the munitions list, so anything that used DES could not What's be DES? exported. It, it's an encryption algorithm. Okay. Um, these these days, um, it's considered 
uh, insecure. It, it triple des is also there and is not really considered that secure either. And that, but um, so the job was to take something that wasn't exportable and make it exportable. And the okay, so when you say, when to, you say exportable, you mean it could be shipped outside of the country? That's right. Okay. All right. I I didn't quite that didn't quite register at first. Um, so how did you do that? Well, the first thing is you pull pull the crypt library and see what breaks, hmm. and then then they gave us an alternate crypt library, so the the arguments were the same, and you put that in and then see if anything else breaks, hmm. <laughs> and and it just kept on going because password was in DES. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, oh, that's had the crypt- that sort of encryption stuff. The, okay, because I was wondering what you were encrypting, and and you're talking about like encrypting passwords and things like that. Yeah, or or just the you know the crypt command where you crypt a encrypt Oh, that's a file. right. I remember. Yeah, it was it was a symmetric encryption where you needed this. You needed the same code. You gave it a code on the way in, and you needed that code on the way out to yeah, it, to it's decrypt. Called a seed, but yeah, you put yeah. the seed in. And- so anyway, so we were responsible for System 5 release 1.1, and then we had to create a master tape, and that turned into three master tapes so that we had something that would work on some drive somewhere. <laughs> it was, it was, it was not, not, you also had the floppy version, which, you know, the, the mile-high stack of floppies, I think it was like yeah. 35 or something like that. Yeah, you haven't lived until you installed Unix via floppies. <laughs> Oh, I remember doing Windows via floppies and DOS. But... Yeah, yeah. Okay, let, let you want the okay, the classic. You think that's bad? Try it on a five megabyte Hawk drive. This is a removable media drive that's about eighteen inches in diameter. What? I don't, I don't think I've that. ever. So, what is this Hawk? Yeah, I've never heard of a Hawk drive. And what? Where? What okay. system was it in? <laughs> it was in a it was in a Honeywell level six mini computer, so this was the size of a, a large file cabinet. And the Hawk drive had this big platter in it, and it was in it looked like a UFO. It was about an inch thick, curved bottom, curved top. You you'd lift the handle, slide the slider, it would l- release the magnet that held the bottom cover on, and then you'd slide it in the drive put the handle back down, put the cover on top of it, and then push the shelf in that the drive was in. And it had a five megabyte removable platter and a five megabyte fixed platter. And that was the first Unix system I booted. Was like were these that. disk platters? Yes. Okay. All right. So they were disk platters. The, the um, removable media disk. And, okay. It was a specifically and, removable. So is that the same concept as what we called back in the day disk packs? Yes and no. This was actually made for traveling, where disk packs were fragile. Okay. This was actually made, made so that it was ruggable, because we used to ship them all over the country. The The product we were producing at, at Honeywell was actually an energy management system, and we'd send out the latest updates on Hawk drives. Was that, Hawk, was, was that Hawk with an E or without an E? Do you know? I... If I remember, it was without an E. Okay. It was a product of CDC. Oh, good control, old CDC. Control, 
Control Data Corporation. Yeah. Yeah. Which which eventually, for for those that don't know this, which which also gave us net backup. Um, CDC had a product which had a product which <laughs> eventually became. Uh, I'm trying to remember who CDC gave us Backup Plus, which was acquired by another company, which was original, which was eventually uh, acquired by Veritas. So they they did a lot of things. Are they're not around anymore? Are they? CDC? CDC. I don't think so. I don't think so. Except for you know the one in Atlanta. That CDC is still on around. The well, yeah, we, we 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 need those people right now. We need now. those. We need those people. Um, all right, so so let's move forward a little bit in time. So we had, um, and and, and by the way, uh, let me just for oh, those. Well, I actually would like to ahead. stay in that period of time because I was hired originally for this whole Wang tape conversion thing. Okay, it was word word processing, and I did it in two weeks when they had me set up for the whole summer for that. <laughs> so what can you do, do the some... rest of the summer then? Yes, exactly. Well, for, first it was going around with an eight-inch floppy and patching these level six computers with their native operating system. Yeah, nobody cares what that was. Anyway, and then the technician who was in charge of the engineering computer facility kept forgetting to do the backups. So they made that part of my job, is running the backups. And we had two tape drives, an 800 uh, BPI and a big 1600 BPI tape drive. Nine Those track are, tapes. You're talking about the nine-track tapes, right? Yeah, nine-track tapes. And and so I started doing the backups, and then they said, well, what do we do for day-to-day? And, and so I ended up developing the incremental backup, full backups on, on the Friday, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's like from scratch. So I actually had to walk over to the mainframe people and ask them a little bit about backups. <laughs> Came back to the, the mini computers and started looking at how I could apply their algorithms to ours. And it's like, so it's your so, fault. <laughs> yeah. Well, I actually, the, the funny part was the bands, uh, if anybody hasn't seen a nine track tape, it's, it looks like a reel to reel audio yeah, it, tape. It, almost. It, nine, for those that don't know, the nine track tapes are the ones that you see in all the movies, the computer movies from the fifties and sixties. They're the big giant, like, Oh, that look like this movie reels that you get. Yeah. The, they, they look like movie reels. Yeah. Go ahead, yeah, uh, Daryl. And and they wrap around with a plastic band to keep the tape inside. Yeah. And and if you've got the money, you take and make your different versions by replacing the band with colored bands. Well, we were the engineering computer facility, so we didn't get the money to buy those colored full tape bands. So I ended up using those those little dots that you see at uh, garage sales. You know, the what? Put the price on little little sticker dots. Oh, different gotcha. Colors. And they <clears throat> they'd write the price on them in, at a garage sale. I used that to label my tapes as to who's Monday, who's Tuesday, who's Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. What I oh. what I remember about the nine track tapes was there was a there was a write enable ring. Right, that there was a physical plastic 
I don't, it's, it's a smaller, it's, it was what, maybe two inches in diameter that was inserted in the mid very at the, it was, at the spool. In diameter, it was about the same as a CD. The right, it was I, about, not know, the, the ones that we had, at least I don't remember that. Well, anyway, it, yeah. the, the point is it was, a, it was a piece of plastic that you inserted into the tape to enable writing to that tape. And then you took it out if you wanted to write, protect the tape. And in my data center, which had a bunch of these, um, right, had a bunch of these tape drives, a sin, a cardinal sin was to leave the right enable rings sitting up on top of the computers because it ruined the aesthetic of the data center. Oh that, <laughs> what? Yeah. That, wow. that, was that was back in the day where every computer room had this big picture window to yes. show them off. Oh. Yes. Yes. You did. You would give tours. And you would bring them up to the big picture window and you'd say, look at these beautiful yeah. servers. And they were all exactly the same size. And they weren't the giant, the racks that today are taller than people. They were actually, they were about five feet-ish high, the servers that we had. And so you you got this sort of vista out across all of the servers. And it was, it was really, you know, it was pretty to look at. And so it was really easy to spot one of those right enable rings laid, laid on up on top of the server. Now the right protect ring was only intended. So you don't accidentally put in a tape or overwrite a tape. You shouldn't, right? It didn't necessarily right. protect from someone losing the tape or destroying the tape by right. passing a magnet. Right. Over it. Yeah. It, it just basically, the idea is you, you wanted the, the fact that the tape be writable to be the exception rather than the rule, right? And so you put in a write enable ring when you want it to actually, because most of those tapes, well, I don't know about most, but many of those tapes, they were they were software or something like that that you would read a lot. You wouldn't necessarily write to it. Um, but um, Except if you're doing backups. Except if you're doing backups, yeah. So what was it like? All my backup tapes had the rings in by default. It was like, oh, yeah, okay. bother taking the rings out. But you get a distribution like, uh, like you know, the uh, System 5 distribution. Oh, actually, it was before that. It was System 3 distribution or third edition Unix or whatever they called it. And that was what we had for source code. And that one had the ring out. In fact, I had actually put... Uh, tape in a not tape i put something so you couldn't put a right ring in it mm. i forgot how i did that so going back to what were you backing up and what were some of the challenges because like you said there was a reason you went to fulls and incrementals right well yeah. well it's uh, the company was making energy management software and the software would run on these level six computers so you had the development, you had the source code, you had the releases, and you had, you know, the documentation all on the same computer. And so the backups were a day could have, you know, a major breakthrough. And if you lost that data because there of a head crash or whatever, you know, the, for people who don't know what a head crash is on a stack of platters of 11 platters, uh, just think of taking all the iron oxide off of, uh, off the disc and putting it in the bottom of the uh, container. <laughs> it's bad. Um, oh, it is. It's terrible. And that, yeah, on that first job, I caused a head crash and 
never mind. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> got the name. Got the name from a guy who eventually became my brother-in-law of Disc Eater. <laughs> yeah, Disc well, Eater. I, I got one. the nick. I got the nickname Crash when I was at Collective. So that because I <laughs> because I worked at um, they put me at the headquarters of Amico, right, the American Oil Company in Chicago, which was okay. in the. Stand yeah, the, well, it, I was actually in the Prudential building right next door. And the, um, oh, what happened is nobody had administered these systems like forever. Like they hadn't been putting patches on, they hadn't been doing anything. And so when we came in, it, we were doing a lot of stuff that hadn't been done in a long time, which included rebooting servers that had been running for like three years constant. And what would happen is we would reboot them and they wouldn't come back up. <laughs> It would be the be the first time they rebooted in in a long time, and they would often crash. So that got me. I was already good at backup because that was what I had done at my previous job. But I got really, really good at restores and different kind of restores, including bare metal restores, which uh, were not exactly easy. Um, and and these were all Sun. These were Spark workstations. Um, is what, what all those things were. And, uh, so I got the nickname crash because every time I rebooted a server, it would, it would crash. So <laughs> I'm with you. Um, yeah, well, it's, 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 it's funny because I propagated a head crash. The brand new pack I was formatting crashed without much damage, surprisingly enough. And then I put it on and the program used to format these, this packs on that particular operating system did have problems. And so I put took out the new pack, put the old pack back in, went over to another drive, put the new pack in. So I crashed two drives and three packs. <laughs> that was probably not a fun day. No. But I'll tell you, all things given, the, the technician who fixed it said, if you ever see this, and he wipes his hand on the inside of the the drive compartment and it get, gets dust on it. If you ever see this, don't do anything else. Just turn it off. Fast forward about two years. I'm at AT&T. I'm formatting a new pack. Or I'm sorry. Somebody I was working with was formatting a new pack. It took errors. I hit the off button in some kind of hurry. <laughs> and I said, don't touch this. We'll get the technicians out before anything. And so the technician comes out to fix it and he goes, this is incredible. I go, why? He said, you crashed three heads. I said, yeah, that, I knew that. He said, nobody ever crashes three heads. They crashed them all. Good times. So what, what, oh, yeah. when do you think things, did things start to get better from a backup and recovery perspective? Like how, I don't know how much you, cause it, you know, you, you, you went into sort of, regular sysadmin work uh and and maybe you weren't as intimately working with the backups I, but i've always worked in in shops where i was involved in the backups and it was when the program started understanding the fact that they were used for different things full backups and incremental backups and and uh you know uh what do you call it uh, differential backups yeah when they started understanding that, and you know, I was at AT and T and using Volcopy, yeah, and Vol Volcopy was not exactly the friendliest program for backups, but.
but it was all that was on system five that was you know we could tar things up but if you really wanted the whole volume you had to use vol copy or dd and don't never recommend a dd as a way of making backups that would be the direct disk copy it's, it was a it was a, a a bit level it's a block level backup right you're not backing up the file system you're backing up the actual image of the disk um which if the file system is changing as you're backing it up, then that's going to be a worthless uh, backup, right? Yeah, there were other problems because on some of the disks, you'd also pick up the bitmap that marked out bad blocks and other things. And so you'll take away the good bitmap and put in a bitmap for another drive, which could have bad blocks in it. Uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah. We're, give, we're giving but you flashbacks. I yeah, know. DD, <laughs> DD it was actually um, uh, an OS VS1. Now, this is, we're talking about IBM mainframe. It was built to look like a DD command that was in the JCL of OS VS1. And so it had all kinds of conversion algorithms and blocking factors and all this other stuff for writing tapes, but it was not a good backup system. No, it was not. Um, it was good if you wanted to make a direct copy of a disk to another disk, but in very, very few times is that actually useful. Um, so what what about tapes? How how did tape, because it, it wasn't until, you know, I don't know if I'm looking at your, at your, uh, your history here, um, you know, it wasn't until kind of your time at Bank of America and stuff that we started talking about using disk as, as a, as a protection mechanism, how did tape get better uh, along well, the years? Uh, first, first of all, the density got better. So we went from 1600 BPI to 6250 BPI, still on the nine track tapes, the media, you had to get the right media for the right coercivity. That's the way the oxide is formatted on the, in the tape. There's that um, word, but let me just touch on that word. <clears throat> it's a word that the average Joe does not use. Uh, the coercivity this concept that a bit could be, co it comes from the word coerce, that a bit could be coerced to not be the bit, uh, you know, and you, you had different, different coercivity levels for different media. And you still, you still, by the way, we still experience this today, right? Uh, tape and disc and different kinds of disc, as well as flash media. Um, that, well, flash media is a different, a different problem, but all magnetic media have this this sort of concept of coercivity, and I, I talk about it. Uh, I talk about it in my book. I talk about it, you know, whenever I get a chance. That this is one area where tape actually is still better than disc because it's it has a much I don't know if the right higher lower level of coercivity. I, I don't know right over it, but basically it's it's easier. It's better. Yeah, yeah, it it has a better <clears throat> coercivity value than disk because it's easier to coerce bits uh, to not be what they're supposed to be on disk than it is to do so on tape. Anyway, just anyway, so I was using nine track tapes, and then I went to another company, and the drive started getting bigger, and so you were talking about four and five and six tapes to back up things, so. At that point, um, Exabyte 
came out with their drive, which is actually a videotape format. The cartridge. eight millimeter. Yep. Um, no, this is oh. the one before eight millimeter. Oh, what? Yeah, it was exabytes were 2.3 gig on a tape. And I'm trying to remember, but they were, um, they were VHS for oh, those okay. uh, camcorders. That's the size of the tape. And um, of course they had, and here comes that word again, a different coercivity because they were trying to do dense data packing and you get 2.3 gig on a tape. So you got a 800 megabyte drive. Now you can get the drive all on the tape, or if you have several of them, you might be able to get the whole machine on a tape. You know, it's it's interesting that you you mentioned that, Daryl, because I I was familiar with the eighty the eighty two hundreds the 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 eight millimeter tape drives, and then later you had the four millimeter tape drives. Which it's interesting that in all three cases, so VHS. Um, Video, uh, camcorder technology, <clears throat> the eight millimeter camcorder technologies, and then the uh, the DAT drives, uh, which became for those of you that don't know what DAT drives were, that was going to be the thing. That was that was consumer audio recording technology. It's just interesting that in all three cases, um, until we got to the world of uh, DLT and LTO, the computer technology and backup technology was actually really influenced and enabled by consumer um, technology that used very literally the, the exabyte. I, I, I don't know about the, I'm, I'm assuming the same is true with the VHS, but the exabyte 8200s and 8600s and the, you know, subsequent drives, they were produced on the same exact manufacturing line as consumer grade camcorders. And it was just, uh, it was just which heads would go into it. It's, it's just, I didn't, I didn't actually know that there was a VHS um, predecessor to that. Yeah, it's, it, it was interesting. It, it, that was an interesting time. It, in, a, in fact, the DLTs about that same time, um, I forgot the deck name for it. TK, TK, sixty, TK seventy, TK eighty, I think. TK something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, which is like a uh, A-track tape, sort of, except yeah. the t- tape would actually come out of the cartridge, but it was that kind of one-side cartridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, but that didn't. But that was, I think, that was sort of our first of the tape drives that didn't have a consumer uh, counterpart. That, At least I don't think so. I don't think it did. I yeah. don't think it did. But yeah, and then and then from the TK line, we got the DLT line, which was digital linear tape. Which I think the form factor of DLTs was the same as LTO. I think wasn't it? I think so too. Yeah, I, I think, think so yeah, I think I think the, they were the same size. But I remember the first time I saw DLT and when they were shipping it as a drive, and I just said, "Well, that's a TK drive. That's not a that's not a backup drive." But it was actually much bigger. <laughs> Right. Um, and then LTO came and it got bigger and bigger. And there were other competing tape technologies along the way. There was AIT, which was a computer, a computer. <laughs> it was a competitor to the exabyte eight millimeter drives. Um, and those, um, and I think AIT, so there's two ways, uh, gather around children. 
um, there are two ways that data is written to tapes. There is the helical scan method and there is the linear tape method. So a helical, a linear tape is easy to understand. It's like a cassette recorder. You have a stationary head and the tape is pulled across the head. A helical scan is the way a VCR writes and probably the average person doesn't know this either. Yeah, but what's a VCR? You, yeah, yeah, what's a VCR? So the, yeah, I, I forget yeah, these it, things. It's, it's the predecessor to a DVR. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so you have a spinning drum that's like, I don't know, two inches in diameter, and the tape is wrapped around the spinning drum, and the drum is at a, at, a, at an angle, and the recording, um, the, the data is written in diagonal stripes across the tape, not straight along the tape. That's called the helical scan uh, uh, method. The, the VCRs, the VHSs, the, the Exabyte 8200 line, the DDS line, the AIT line, all of these drives were the helical scan method and it's, I have an opinion. I don't know if, I don't know if I, <laughs> if I can back it up, but they seemed less susceptible to the shoe shining issues. But for some reason, they sort of went the way of the dodo, right? Basically when DLT took off, when LTO took off, LTO and some of its competitors, like the IBM drive, the Sun drives, suddenly the entire world was linear scan and there was no more helical scan drives being made. I, I agree with you on the, the shoe shining bit, and that's only because they had to be careful of the pressure. And I think the reason they wanted to go away from it, it was one less moving part. So what, what, I mean, what was one less moving part? If they, if they don't have the drum, the right drum spinning. Oh, right, right. It's more reliable. Yeah. 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 I wonder, I, I, I know a guy that could answer this question <laughs> and I've been trying to get him to come on the podcast. Um, and he's the guy from which, or he's the guy who helped me to understand coercivity and, and the KUV over KT formula that, that calculates it. Um, but I, I, I've been having trouble getting in touch because he's, he's even older than you, um, <laughs> Daryl. <laughs> I I can believe it. I can believe it. And uh <clears throat> he's he's not on the Facebook. <laughs> and, so, and he lives he lives in Colorado. He he's a former uh storage tech uh employee. But um all right, so what about uh tape automation? Did you see that sort of um... uh yes, I did, but um the first one I saw, and this is, I, I can't remember the IBM name of it, but it was like a 12-inch wide by, I don't know, two feet long tape that they would wrap around a cylinder and then use like a drum drive. So you, you'd have, you know, I don't know how many tracks on it, and the head, they'd have heads that matched up with each track and this was uh, long-term storage that uh, Bell Labs used back in back in '83, and the only reason I remember '83 is they were used in calculating the Indian Hill. We've got a terabyte party. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they across the whole campus, they celebrated the fact that they actually had a terabyte of secondary storage. They didn't include tapes. That's actually pretty impressive the... in 1983. Yeah. Because I remember 
I remember another company. So another company that you and I share, because I'm looking at your the, the thing. I went uh, as a consultant for a brief period of time at what was at that time billed as the world's largest Oracle database, and it was six terabytes, and it was it was at Axiom, which okay, is a, yeah. a company that you were at <clears throat> for a short period of time, uh, and that is in Conway, Arkansas. Okay, I was at the office. Downers Grove. And- you were in Downers Grove. Yes, right? I was. Yeah, but yeah, uh, but the fact, but that was in like late nineties. The idea that they had a terabyte on, on secondary spinning disk in on secondary storage too, on secondary right? storage, right? Right, right. So, as I said, they had these tapes, and they were they were in a library, but these weren't you know, reel to reel tapes or anything. These were these specialty tapes that would wrap around a drum and then they used them like a drum drive, but it had a robot behind it with, with all the, you know, little cubbies and an arm to pull them out and send them over to the drive and the drive would wrap them up. They counted those storage silos as uh, part of the secondary storage, but they wouldn't count tapes. Huh. By the way, Exabyte, I, I just, sorry, but you mentioned Exabyte earlier, best named company ever, right? At, at the time, the idea of, a, of an Exabyte was like, we could not comprehend the concept of an Exabyte, right? Because you had a, it's it's a, terab- a gigabyte, terabyte, petabyte, then Exabyte, right? Right. Right. Um, uh, and and it's sad that the company with such a great name ultimately just died. Do you know what happens if you go to exabyte.com right now? No. You get you get a white page and it says great internet address for your site. Exabyte at exabyte.com. Please email us. Um that's so that's so sad. That's such a great name. I, I bet they want a lot of money for it though, uh, at this point. Probably. Right? Yeah. Um, well, you know, you, you talk about the progression. Did you ever hear about uh, Grace Hopper's talk on store uh, on the speed of light and how that affects things? Um, no. So first off, say tell us who Grace Hopper was. I I know, but I'm not sure everybody in the audience would know. Okay. She well, she was the first female rear admiral in the Navy, and she was also considered the mother of COBOL. Yep. So she was a programmer back in the 50s as as they were moving from, you know, assembly language to something more uh, understandable by us humans. <laughs> and so she, she was actually considered the mother of COBOL. But she does this, did this one talk and she'd have a cable spool of wire and she'd go, that's a millisecond. And then she'd pull out something about foot long and say, that's a microsecond. And eventually you get to, here's a picosecond and it's dust. <laughs> That's how yeah. far. So it's you, basically how far light can travel in. In, in the, a period of time. And it right. was a very visual thing. So yeah, Grace, Grace Hopper is one of those very interesting people. And she had some interesting um, talks, including, um, uh, one about the language that nobody ever used except the military. <laughs> yeah. So Grace Hopper actually died the year before I went into the, um, into the IT industry. 
She died January 1st, 1992 um, in Arlington County, Virginia. Makes sense since she was uh, Navy. Uh, but I'm, I'm former Navy, which is how, how, that's how I came to know Grace Hopper. But I, I knew that she also played a role in the computer world. The, uh, and women, by the way, have been extremely, uh, uh, instrumental, you know, so, so you've got Ada Lovelace. Right. Who the military only language is Ada. Yep. We're getting towards the, towards the end of our time limit here. Where do you think we are now versus... I mean, how far have we come from a backup and recovery perspective today versus, you know? I mean, now you're talking about letting the users restore their own stuff. Um, you keep stuff on disk for the week because, well, disk is cheap. <laughs> I hate that phrase, but it's true. You know, it's cheap. Extra- it's cheaper than it used to be. I'll say that. Okay. It's still it's expensive, than- but it's cheaper than it used to be. I'm sitting next to 13 terabytes of disk. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you're like, this I'm is at, crazy. I'm at home. I'm <laughs> at home. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing is backups now become, you know, a consumer group for your day-to-day operations where it used to be submit the order, get the guy to put the tape on the drive, restore the file, tell you where the file's at, you copy it back into where you want it. And now it's, you know, self-service. Yeah. And that in itself for, you know, the people who are responsible for day-to-day backups is just so incredibly important. The other one is that we need a replacement for tapes because you don't want to take a disk drive you know, we call I call them cheap, but you still don't want to take a resource like a disk drive and put it in a vault that you're going to leave it there for ten years no. and not use it. You you'd like something a little cheaper. Well it's 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 also that and also have you ever tried because I actually worked with a company uh which um uh give me a second, uh Copon. So I worked with Copon when they were coming out with this concept of made massive array of idle disk where they would power most of the disks off at any given time to save money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They were trying to get out of the disk manufacturers an answer to the following question. And that is, how long can I safely power off a disk drive and have it, everything be fine, right? And they couldn't get an answer out of any of the manufacturers because they simply aren't designed that. to do that. Yeah. Right. Well, the, the other one is stiction. Yes. Yeah, stiction. Yeah. Because stiction is how sticky a drive is. And in the early days, they used to fly the dri- uh, the heads over the discs. And so they were riding on an air current above the disc, but as the density got better, you know, got tighter and tighter, they started putting the heads on the discs and there's a film above the iron oxide that is the disc. And your he- heads, after a while, sitting in the same place would stick. Well, the drive, after a while itself, that coating gets a little sticky. So even though the drives, the, now the heads are retracted away from the drive, but when they come back out, it's very easy for them to stick. Yeah. And, and, and all of that got better over the years. But again, I I just don't think drives are not made to do that. 
right? Which is which is to your point. You you're not gonna. So what you're saying is you'd like to see something in the future that isn't tape and isn't disc and is affordable and is made for long term detached storage. Yeah, I mean, it's it, like optical it, media it was. was. Yeah, it was supposed to be, uh, you know, CDs, DVDs, etc. And even those have an, a, a shelf life now. Right. So it's like you need you need something. And then the other problem is technology moves ahead so fast that your backup media that you put away in ten years, you may not have a drive for that anymore. Yeah, that's the other long term problem. Yeah. Right. Like I look around in my house, I'm like, I only have one system still with a DVD drive in it. At my university, I actually had to go on a scavenger hunt for one professor to find a five and a quarter inch floppy drive. You should have called me. I have one sitting in the garage. <laughs> the guy who named me Disc Eater had one. Well, there, well, there you go, Daryl. Yeah. Your problem was that you didn't know Persona. Well, I'm no, going to... No, no, but that's interesting, though. It's like this... Sorry, Curtis, I don't mean to cut you off, but that's interesting, though. Like, it's this old data that you have sitting around it's like what do you do if you ever need to get it back because it's not like the professor went and took the five and a quarter and at some point like maybe 10 15 years or 20 years ago was like oh let me copy it over to three and a half and then to tape and all the rest right you just are like i forgot about that data it's sitting there and you don't always go back and sort of update what backup media it's yeah. sitting on i i well, especially, especially when it's in cold storage at a vaulting service somewhere you don't think about it and by the way some some people do put this out as an anti-tape sort of thing. And, and, and I, I, I just tell them, I do say this, I, I, everything both of you just said is totally true. Having said that, if you do have a, you know, a 30 year old shoot, if you have a 50 year old, like God forbid you have a 50 year old piece of media because 50 years ago, the, the media was not very reliable, but, but let's say 50 years from now and you need to read an LTO tape, the, the drives are available. You can get them. It's just, you don't have them. It will be a pain uh, to get one. But like, if you, if, you know, if you need an L. You also may need an interface card because that yes. interface is. Big. I yes. was thinking while you were talking about that, I was thinking of IDE drives. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's yep. like, I know a couple of computers that have IDE in them, but. Yeah. I don't know many. Yeah, that's the other problem is the is the physical connector changes over time, and um, you know because people say, well, that's why I like this because they have <clears throat> because they're more compatible. I'm like, okay, when's the last time you had a you know a SCSI two Terminator you know yeah. laying around because that's what you're going to need to read that you know that thirty year old disk. Well, yeah, anyway, or try to re- yeah. I try to read MFM drive. MFM. It's a formatting of a the original formatting of the small Winchester drives. You sound so old, Daryl. <laughs> I am. Yeah. I am All right. Most, I've been called over the dirt. There you go. All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to put it into this, uh, to this two, two old guys <laughs> talk about backup episode of, uh, I learned something. That's all yeah. I got to say. All right. And, uh, thank, thanks a lot, Daryl, for, for coming on and, and, and making me feel young. <laughs> well, you're welcome. Um, I just uh, enjoyed it immensely. Well, that's good. So, and 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 thank, thank and thanks for Persona for you know humoring us for this ancient history episode. 
it's it's okay. It's good to know where things came from and how things evolved. Because I know Curtis, you've been talking about like the AT and T three B two, yeah, and you've always talked about it. And I'm like, ah, just old stuff. <laughs> but actually, yeah. kind of understanding the history behind it and some of the challenges and where things came from, it kind of makes you appreciate where we are today. So good thank stuff. you for that, and thank you, Daryl, as well. You're welcome. And thanks to the listeners uh, for sticking with us on, on this sort of kind of unique, I think, episode of um, down memory lane. Yeah, this trip down memory lane. Exactly. And uh, make sure to subscribe so that you can restore it all. System isn't worth a spade. Finally, I needed your backup. You had a chance to fix it, instead, it's all jacked up. See how I'll write on Facebook about you. Don't underestimate the things that I will do. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth a spade. It'll be completely done Maybe 